Good morning. Um, our passage for today is in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 15. In our church Bibles, is in page 1183. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thank you so much, Andres. And thank you to you for giving us your time today to come and share in this joyful occasion, whether you're a regular or here as a guest. It really is great to have you here. I'm just going to pray before we look at that part of the Bible together. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that uh, this passage, this bit of the Bible says that when we trust Jesus, as we've just heard Alex and Rosie and Rebecca say that they do, when we trust Jesus, we have fullness in Christ. And we pray today you would open our eyes and our hearts to understand and appreciate what that means. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may not realize if you are just a guest here today, this isn't the only thing as we do as a church. So we don't just gather here on Sundays. We also gather at various times and places during the week and we have more time to get to know each other and talk and speak in smaller groups, so we think about stuff. And I helped to lead our city centre group called The Hub, and this past week, a couple of weeks ago, we were thinking about how Christians should understand and respond to films and songs and art and culture, and about how Christians have sometimes just retreated from that and said it's all bad, or we just let it wash all over us and don't really think it through. And uh, because I am, you know, we were wanting to do some cutting edge cultural analysis at the Hub, I ended up talking about this, not working, about Frozen. Uh, that's because I'm in my mid-40s with small children, and so when you get to watch a film 45 times, <laughs> you get to do some thinking about it. Uh, and I will say Frozen re repays some careful thought. There is Elsa. She feels trapped. I'm just going to assume you've seen it if you haven't. What, have you, I don't know, you had your head in a goldfish bowl for 10 years or something, I don't know. So Elsa is trapped by expectation and duty. And then she just like lets it go. She sings the favorite song. And she feels better when she just lets herself go. But that just destroys everybody else around her and freezes them all. And at the end of the film, she finds a place to be both accepted and 
herself and she's able to be happy. She to realize it's not bad to be me, but also I can be accepted and find somewhere where people look after me and trust me and look out for me. It all seems so easy, doesn't it? Just be yourself and be perfectly loved. But I guess lots of us feel a bit more trapped than that. Frozen expresses a longing that we know to really be known, but also not to have to constantly judge and hide myself. Whether that's something you experience, it's definitely something we see going on in the world around us at the moment. There's a plague of uncertainty and insecurity and unhappiness. The reading we've just had is from a letter from uh, some of the, uh, to some of the first Christians from Paul, who is one of their leaders. And in the bit just before we had read, verse 8, he says, Don't let anybody take you captive to this phrase that I love, hollow and deceptive philosophy. It's very contemporary. Frozen understands that. Frozen gets there is a hollow and deceptive philosophy out there. It's deceptive to say, just pretend to be someone you aren't. But it's hollow to say, just be yourself. And Paul has been saying in this letter, here are the things you get as soon as you trust Jesus. You are qualified to approach God. You are free from accusation. You are brought back to belong to God. All the treasures of real wisdom and knowledge are yours. You're not working your way to get those things. When you trust Jesus, you have them. And so he's saying to these Christians, seeing as you have that, don't go back to hollow and deceptive. He's even saying there's religious versions of hollow and deceptive. That's cropping up in their church. People saying, oh, follow rules or do good things or have experiences. Or even like today, go through a religious ceremony. Today, isn't it? Maybe you're observing this baptism and you're thinking that's what it is. Oh, Rosie and Alex and Rebecca, they'll feel secure once they've done this religious thing. It's like a top-up. Make sure God will see us in the right way if we do the right thing. No, no. That's hollow and deceptive and not how it works. No, says Paul, you have freedom from that. And a baptism is a powerful embodiment of something that has already happened to you. A celebration of something Jesus does for anybody who asks him. So, if you're watching, people get baptised today and you already trust Jesus. You have fullness in Jesus. And if you're not today, you're just looking in. Then I'm going to explain to you what's on offer when you trust Jesus. What this powerful symbol means. And I'm going to offer you the chance to leave what's hollow and deceptive and find something true and real. Here's the first thing that we see. This is really having a bad day today. Life instead of death. Great. Here's a great thing about being in a church family with many cultures. It makes you realise strange things that are normal to you about the way British people are. I know British people, we're just used to thinking everybody's like us, but thankfully that's not true. We uh, had a colleague here on our staff team for a while who was American, and he used to say, do you know a British phrase you all say all the time that I hate? That'll do. He was like, it's your approach to life. You're like, I haven't really done it properly, but that'll do. 
I haven't really finished it, but that'll do. It's a bit rubbish, but that'll do. Here's another one. That's a very British thing to say. That'll come up on the screen. Just in case. It might go wrong, so I'll do this just in case. Maybe you were, are worried about that when because doing the original planning you said, that'll do. <laughs> well, it's a baptism, a just in case moment. You know, I've trusted Jesus, I'm right with him, I've got fullness. Just in case that didn't work, I'd better get baptised. But Paul is saying here that is not the case. Pressing the most radical change that's already happened. You're physically entering into and embodying what's already been done to you by Jesus. Now, you might have noticed when the text is being read, and I'm going to start talking about this now, so I'm just pointing out it's there in case you think it's totally weird, that he uses a strange picture, circumcision. Strange thing to be talking about in church, although I think you'd be surprised when you read the Bible the things you have to end up talking about in church. That's a story for another day. Now, not to be too graphic, why does he use this picture of circumcision? It's an important religious ritual in many religions. In fact, someone on our staff team is telling me this week they've been a friend's child circumcision at the synagogue. So, uh, but what is it medically? It is a cutting off of a bit of flesh you don't need in order to mark you out as belonging to a new community. That's how it still works in the Jewish faith today. Well, Paul says here uh, in verse 11, you put off your whole self ruled by the flesh when you were circumcised by Jesus. What he's saying is this, there's part of you, there's part of all of us that is endlessly pulled towards the hollow accepted philosophy. There's part of you that's not necessary to being you. Part of you that drags you back to things that eat you up and that hurt other people. There's a part of you, maybe this is how you recognise it, that cares so deeply about what other people think of you, you end up doing things that you actually think are wrong in order to impress other people. There's all terrible stuff, but it's part of you. And Paul is saying, that bit of you, you don't need to be truly yourself. Everyone knows this. It's a subject of every drama that there is. We've been watching this recently, The Recruit, on Netflix. I'm not re recommending it. Uh, it. You know, it's not like War and Peace or anything. <laughs> um, but uh, the character in that, they're having a discussion about him in this sort of shallow drama. And the woman says to him, his friend, you're always want there's a difference between wanting excitement and then crossing the line to destroy things in order to get an adrenaline rush. You see what she's saying? She's just actually expressing what Paul is saying here. There's part of you that tips over into being destructive and wrong and ruins. And the Bible's view of humanity is that every person has that, but you don't need it. It's warping you. You don't need to just let it go. You'll cause chaos. And the Bible is offering us the idea, the truth of living free from that. Living free from the longing uh, that comes for people's approval.
for recognition or success or significance and get rid of all the dark habits that have formed from that person. Getting rid of that, what he calls flesh, self-rule by the flesh, so that I'm actually just the me that I'm made to be. It's so totally different. It starts like, sounds like, starting a totally new life. Who can imagine a life without that part of yourself? But that is what Paul says exactly what it is. A baptism is a celebration of a funeral. Someone's old life ruled by the flesh has been buried. All people are made with immense value and potential to image God, to do good in the world. But in the heart and the centre of us, in our best moments, we're still infected by what Paul calls our flesh, our old self. And that self can't be improved. It can only be killed. And it can't be killed by me, as I well know. I can look at myself and think, yeah, I'd be better if I wasn't like that, but I can't stop being that way. But the message of the gospel is that it's a spiritual thing. Jesus is God coming into the world with the power to bury that old self and raise you to new life. And Paul says here he thinks that's provable because Jesus the person actually did rise from the dead. He has cut off that old self, ruled by the flesh, and given you a new secure life. More than that in a minute. Now, at the centre of this is obviously the claim that Jesus, the historical figure, rose from the dead. And I uh, do believe that likely thing. And uh, you tell them you believe this, and they sort of say to you, yes, but people don't rise from the dead. You're like, oh, yes, of course. Or they're expecting me to go, what do you mean? My Auntie Elma did that last week. We know that's not a normal course of events, but we think Jesus did it, which is why we think he can't kill our flesh and give us new life. I'm not here to make that argument today. I'm here to make this one. Isn't it true there is a self ruled by the flesh that we cannot kill? Isn't it true that we are called by hollow and deceptive empty, deceptive, empty ideas because there's part of us that wants that? And so here is the offer. Watch today's baptism and see that you're having an offer to have that part buried by Jesus and rise to a new and different life. You might be thinking, as a guest, I smile because I actually know the people getting baptised today. I know that they still struggle with these same things. In fact, some of them have just told us they do. And of course that's true. Paul is having to write to these Christians to warn them that feeling like this hasn't happened to you is a possibility. We still see Christians do bad stuff because they want praise or assurance or honour. The habits of the flesh will stay with us. But here is the difference. A Christian always has a way back. Knowing they are raised to a new life of knowing God, belonging to Jesus, safe and secure, the frozen story becomes possible. They can be free and feel free of wrong ideas, get everything bad about themselves out there and still be loved and shaped and renewed because there is a real reality of having a new life closely bound with God, the power of the flesh, put away. 
And once you trust Jesus, that is true. You belong like that now. It's not a process. And baptism we do is a one-off thing. Think about, you know, I was putting up the baptistry this morning, which is the one single time in the year I would like to be a member of the Church of England. Uh, It's not a one-off thing, but it would be an easier way to do it, to just bring a little bit of water every week and uh, rinse them a little bit. You know, it would just make everything simpler than this dunking. But the reason we do it this way is because it is a one-off thing to trust Jesus. You trust him as you rise to new cleansed life. Our standing who we are is changed. The battle, therefore, is not to let anyone take us captive, not let anybody's judgment destabilize us or make us uncertain, but to step into the real life that Jesus has given us. Now listen, I realize the way I've talked about Jesus so far makes him sound a little bit like a therapist. You know, he will help you when you have personal issues like Elsa. Although if you have Elsa's particular issues, you can make a lot of money. So, uh, but if your issues are just to do with self-esteem like Elsa, uh, he can help. And I do think that's right, because the God who made us was sending Jesus, he does speak to our deepest needs and our real experiences. That's not just some weird spiritual thing for church services. But I do want to be clear, the experience of our flesh, our sinful nature, that part of us which needs to be dead and buried, is symptoms of a deeper objective problem, a problem between us and the God who made us. This is the second thing we're going to see, forgiveness instead of sin. Paul mentions it actually almost in passing in verse 13. God made you alive with Christ. We've seen that already. He forgave us all of our sins. What Paul is saying is that our self-rule by the flesh that is pulled to hollow philosophies means we do things that are wrong. And that creates a problem between us and the God who made us. The brokenness we feel is a reflection, a true reflection, a right reflection of having a broken relationship with God who should be our father and friend. We have done wrong things. We need forgiveness. Now, in this context, he is happily assuring Christians they have forgiveness. And I do want to tell you that today. For us, getting forgiveness is easy. It is easy peasy. It is like easy peasy, lemon squeezy. You just ask for forgiveness and you have it. It's easy for us. You come and get it from Jesus. And people do get this wrong. They do ridiculous things because they think they need to do ridiculous things to get God forgiveness. They like climb steps and they go on pilgrimages and they fast and they endlessly wash in rivers. And this letter is about saying, for you, it's easy to get God's forgiveness because it was hard for Jesus, but he did the hard thing already. Jesus took the punishment we deserve so that we can easily be forgiven. God is actually reconciling everything, making everything new in this broken world through Jesus' death. And so he can definitely reconcile you. Trusting Jesus is something that is done once and then all your sins are forgiven. So baptism is something you do once, immersing you in water once, and the symbol is washing you clean. 
In reality, people getting baptised, you will need to wash again in the future. I'm just making that clear for the sake of the people around you. So the symbol is limited, but you do the symbol once because once you ask Jesus, you are a forgiven person. Christians still confess to God because we have an open, accountable, real relationship with him. But you're a forgiven person once you're united to Jesus. Paul says it. He forgave all our sins. So if you're not a Christian, I'm not dodging any uncomfortable implications. You need God's forgiveness. We have done things God regards as wrong. You need to ask him for forgiveness, but it is easy to get. And if you ask, it will be an amazing celebration a baptism, a party, a new life. But you do need it. There may be people saying, I don't need that. Fair enough. I don't know you or anything about you. The Christian tradition disagrees. One thing I was thinking about with our church interns this week, we meet and study the Bible and talk about things, is God basically says to people, if you don't think you need forgiveness, here's what I say. All I will do is visit back on you bad things you've done to other people. That's all I'll do. It's perfectly fair. Think up the bad things you've done to other people and you'll receive that back. Or maybe if that's you, you think you still don't need forgiveness, but that caused all of us to pause for thought. But there are others to whom I want to say this. Receiving forgiveness is amazing, Knowing you have wronged someone and actually receiving their forgiveness and the reconciliation that follows that, that is great. Knowing you need it before you go through that process and being too proud to ask for it, that's miserable. That's where you're sad. That's where you uh, are intimidated and angry at the suggestion you need to ask for forgiveness and arrogant and frustrated and horrible and you dig in more and more, and you're hardened to everyone, and you can't admit you're wrong. That's the miserable place to be. Receiving forgiveness is not miserable. If you really think you don't need God to forgive you, don't ask him. But if you do, and you just don't like the feeling of needing forgiveness, I just want to say, walk through the hard thing, you'll be amazed at what's on the other side. Receiving forgiveness is amazing. That's why we're celebrating today. God forgave all their sins. Third thing that we get is freedom instead of darkness. I was reading a news article this week about the mental health crisis in teenage girls and some emerging evidence that it has to do with social media. Now, I'm not making any comment about kids and social media, not my expertise in any way. Every parent handles it different. Caveat, caveat. But what has happened, even, you know, you deal with it your way, but what is going on that something that was invented to help kids make funny videos and show creativity and connect with friends has become for so many like a horrible, heavy burden to carry? I guess there's a psychological thing going on there. I guess there's some sort of social phenomenon going on there. But as we're at church, I want to talk about it spiritually. We do believe that as well as good, there is evil at work in the world. It's what Paul means in the final verse of our passage, verse 15, when he talks about spiritual powers and authorities. And these spiritual 
to authority against God in the world. What they mostly do is they accuse. They trample on people by endlessly down to the things their flesh has got wrong. Evil like that at work in this seemingly innocent thing of people like making funny videos about cats. Well, you might think I'm part of the problem. After all, I'm the one going on about sin and forgiveness. But the reason we're easily accused by other people's expectations is because there is a real law that we have broken. We've wound up feeling condemned by a whole lot of things that aren't our fault. Because there are real things that are our fault. And evil powers at work in the world jump onto our real guilt and snowball that to self-hatred. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you can identify something that you've done wrong. But you can't just say sorry and leave it. You find yourself building it in your head, blaming yourself, disliking yourself for all sorts of reasons. And so you're like, well, God will forgive. Good. But how do I escape the power of that controlling me? Well, God's law, his legal code, highlights our problem to us. When you read the Bible, it shows us that we're not what we should be. But here's what Paul is saying. Jesus takes any ways that I've broken the law, he calls it our legal indebtedness in verse 14, and nails it to the cross when he dies. This church has religious people saying, yeah, 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 you did get it wrong, but you can make it up to God. Follow this rule. Confess to this person. Do what they say. Maybe even give money to this church. Then you'll be all right. It is totally different to that once you trust Jesus. Everything you have really done wrong is nailed to the cross with Jesus. And so when spiritual powers and authorities want to accuse you, they come to God and they say, look what this terrible person has done. God laughs at them. God's like, do you really think I need you to tell me that about them? Of course I don't. But do you also know my son died to take the punishment for every bad thing you're telling me about? They're foolish, stupidly spiritual powers trying to uh, accuse us before God when God says, I've buried their flesh. I've forgiven all their sins. They're united. They're adopted. They're connected to me. Don't try and accuse them to me. I laugh at you. Imagine that freedom of whoever is trying to remind you or disqualify you or make you feel inadequate. God, because Jesus has taken it all away, is laughing, not at you, never at you, but at them, as if they could undo the work of Jesus nailing everything we've done wrong to the cross. So today, we are not just watching a just-in-case religious ceremony. That would be a bit depressing, to be honest. We are celebrating people embodying or acting out or showing us this great happy truth that their old self, buried. Their sins, the things they get wrong, already forgiven and cleansed. The accusations people could level at them, but you did this, or you're like this, or you're not good enough at this, 
God laughs in the face of anybody trying to do that to one of his children. That is what we are celebrating today. And it's not just a celebration, but it's an invitation. As we watch people tell their stories, make promises, and then enact what's happened to them, the offer is for you, if you're not a Christian, to ask God for that the same way that they have. And if you are, and you've heard all this before, watch out, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. You've been given fullness in Christ.